Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for your questions coming from our audience at Smith Weekly, including Sandro C., Andrew W., Jim S., and Todd A. Wayne Hiley is back on the show today. Wayne is Managing Director and CEO of Peninsula Energy, a U.S.-focused uranium project developer and producer advancing and optimizing the Lance ISR project in Wyoming. The company is listed on the Australian Securities Exchange under the symbol P-E-N, and also on the U.S. OTC markets under the symbol P-E-N-M-F. Wayne, thanks for coming back. How are you, sir? It's my pleasure, Andrew. It's good to be joining you today. Well, Wayne, how about the uranium market here? Uh, What are your thoughts? Well, you know, as we speak, uh, we've seen some softening in the spot market um, uh, recent days. I think that's on the heels of of Cameco announcing that that they're uh, done with their uh, buying program for this year. They've been buying a lot of material in the market to offset the uh, the production losses at uh, Cigar Lake. Uh, you know, with Cameco exiting the market, uh, they were probably the driving force in them in the market for for quite a quite a while, and the softening would be expected. But but also. Um, you know, it's really important to note that that the price uh, that what we were seeing was largely the price at uh, Cameco's Port Hope uh, facility, where the majority of the volume of the the spot market was taking place. To um, you know, again, driven by Cameco's buying, and uh, there was a big price differential between the price at uh, Cameco and the price at the other free market Western conversion facilities. So that price gap is, has uh, um, subsided. It, you know, it was up to almost $4 a pound and, and now it's, it's really back to more historic levels, a quarter, uh, you know, 50 cents. Uh, so, so the price gap is, is dissipated and, and it was probably largely accounting for the, the higher prices that we saw in the spot market. Uh, that said, uh, fundamentally, the market is in great shape. Uh, supply and, and demand, uh, you know, have not been matched. Uh, they have not been matched for a long time. And, um, and this year, particularly, uh, look, nuclear energy is is um, absolutely the right um, type of, of uh, power production in a pandemic environment. It's really well suited. You have a a small cadre of people working in a power plant. Uh, you don't have a lot of materials coming and going from the from the facility, and and nuclear power uh, has survived the pandemic quite well. Um, our nuclear power operators around the world have have continued to reliably produce clean energy, uh, but the uranium supply was was impacted by COVID-19. The mines, uh, the remote mines, particularly. Uh, places where people had to travel and and um, spend time in camps, those were impacted, and and rightly so. You know the companies were cautious about um, protecting their employees, and and we had significant drops in production over the course of this year. Um, you know most people are thinking there was about a 60 million pound differential between demand this year and and what production will be. So the markets uh, consumed some some excess inventory. 
uh, inventory is what bridges a gap between uh, uh, the supply and demand when these types of events happen. But that's good. And Wayne, you know, the audience at this point, certainly there's a lot of seasoned uh, uranium folks that are listening. I think they want to see to some degree, when is this going to start to move? And, you know, do we have Cameco continuing to buy, obviously, next year and trying to ramp up that effort in a semi-dry uh, spot market that has appeared to be the case, that the price ran up probably too much to, for their liking during 2020? What's your thoughts on timing? And when do you see the utilities finally saying, enough of the inventory, we have to start restocking? Maybe give us a year that you think would be an inflection point. Yeah, if you take a real deep look back, uh, you'll realize that inventories have been bridging the gap for a very long time, probably since 1990. Um, there's been a, a difference between um, uh, production and demand. Um, demand continues to grow one and a half, two percent annually, and, and it's expected that you know in the next uh, decade or so we'll see demand growth uh, as much as 20 million pounds a year. Uh, pretty predictable because you know the uh, number of, of uh, developing new nuclear facilities uh, and the number of retiring nuclear facilities is a fairly uh, predictable number. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, mines, on the other hand, are are depleting. There are there are mines which are going to go offline uh, either because of price or because of uh, because their mine is depleted. And, you know, I recently heard a presentation, it was a very good presentation that, that suggested that by uh, 2035, uh, almost 70 million pounds per year of annual production will be will be coming offline uh, out of the 140, 150 million pounds of, a year of, of production capacity. So that creates a gap uh, in the coming decade, you know, 10, 15 years uh, that that may be as much, you know, with growing demand and decreasing primary mine supply from the existing mines, you know, it's 100 million pounds of, of gap. It can't last forever. Look, you know, the utilities look forward. Uh, you know, they contract for their materials. Uh, most of them, most of the U.S. utilities and 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 the European utilities, you know, they carry an adequate uh, inventory and they have a fair book of contracted materials. In the near term, they can go long periods of time without um, going to the spot market, particularly to buy. They use the spot market as a uh, opportunity to purchase uh, material when the price is right, but they don't have to be in the spot market. And sometimes focusing on the spot price is the wrong thing. You know, the the trade tech long-term price for, for uranium is $39, while the spot price is closer to 30 uh, you know, there's and there's a reason for that because the utilities, you know, want security of supply, and and looking forward, seeing the trends, the macro trends, the fundamentals, security of supply is going to be a, a very big issue. The world, bottom line, needs some new mines to come on. It also needs existing mines that are idled uh, to come on. Probably the price point for existing mines to be incentivized to be put back into production is around forty dollars. And the price point for um, new mines to be put into production is well over fifty dollars. So uh, time's coming. Um, we've got uh, we've got a diminishing available mobile inventory in the world. Uh, uh, 
Um, the utilities have material that they need. They're not forced to come in the market quickly, but I think they will. I think they'll come into the market, Andrew, in the, you know, in the, in the coming uh, three to six months. I think uh, this year is probably a lost year, but, but early next year, uh, we'll start seeing utilities uh, implementing their buying strategies on the heels of uh, the world recovering from, from all of the COVID issues, uh, just normalizing again. Yeah, certainly some interesting set of circumstances that we have, and I think it's more of a supply-driven story at this point, rather than the demand side. I mean, the demand is there, it is growing. However, I, I really think this is turning into a, a substantial supply story for uranium. Well, let's get into uh, the company here, as it's been about a year, actually right at a year, I think, Wayne, since we last spoke. So since you guys have raised about 50 million Australian through two different placements, December 2019 and June 2020, substantial issuance of shares and dilution. You used about half of the funds to pay back uh, company debt, and you're debt-free now. Congratulations on that. The share price remains at an all-time low. What are your thoughts, and how much runway do you have with the remaining capital here? Well, um, my thoughts are that that fundamentally uh, the company needed to um, emerge debt-free. The debt was was um, holding us back from from the opportunities that we had in front of us. We were servicing debt um, with with shareholder money, uh, you know, to the tune of four million dollars a year. Uh, we no longer have that overhead, that that burden on the company because we opted to. Um, retire the debt uh, through a substantial um, uh, equity raise in uh, June of, of this year. So today, uh, Peninsula sits uh, at the end of uh, the September, um, or at the end of September, the quarter ending September, we have over $9 million, uh, $9.4 million available cash in the bank. Uh, provides us a, an excellent runway. Um, we're debt-free. We, we've limited our, our corporate burn, um, and you know we're projecting, um, along with the revenues that we get from our contract book, uh, which which sets us apart from our peers, um, in 2021 it'll be six to eight million dollars. We're, we're projecting that, and you know, our runway is well into uh, 2022, if we just follow course with what we're currently doing. So um, you know, and and what we're currently doing is is. Um, um, continuing our transformation initiative with Lance, uh, changing it from an alkaline in situ recovery operation to a low pH ISR operation. Uh, motivation for that is really to position us as a global industry leading uh, production cost uh, structured company. Um, anyhow, uh, you know we have we have important activities at the site that we're funding, but but all in all, uh, we've really pulled back our expending. Um, Debt service is no longer an issue. Um, we're term debt free, and and uh, we have a very long runway. So um, you know, I think we're in the best position we've been in in a long time. Uh, I acknowledge that it did take some pain from from existing shareholders, and and that the equity raise was a was a difficult process. But um, you know, you look at Peninsula today, and you say, wow, they've got everything in place. It, you know. The share price should be doing uh, much better than it is, and and I think we're just in a period of time now where uh, shares that were issued are finding um, stable hands, and um, and and that's an important uh, part of uh, the post equity raise uh, phase of of the company. So 
I see good things moving forward. We're well positioned. Uh, we have the cash on hand to <clears throat> to go very deep, and uh, and we have uh, revenues that that others just simply don't. Yeah, and Wayne, on that topic, you know, as you guys get into 2021, here you'll have income from some of the uh, sales agreements. With that capital, the savings from getting rid of the debt. Do you see in 2022 also you'll have more sales? Do you think that you guys could not have to issue shares all the way through, possibly through 2022? Well, it's really going to depend, Andrew, on the markets. Um, you know, we will need some capital in, in, as we ramp up the project, uh, and and we intend to be a producer. Uh, excuse the colloquialism. More sooner than later, we have contracts that go through the year 2030, and and we need to service those contracts with production. Um, so, you know, sitting and, and just simply buying in the market and, and providing uranium to the contract is a, is a good strategy for a period of time. Now, next year, we're going to do that. Um, you know, we've, we've uh, contracted to purchase over four, or 400,000 pounds of uranium, and, and that's going to go into our uh, uh, contract uh, sales and, and net us six to $8 million for next year. 2022, we could do that again, uh, depending on the uranium price. But ultimately, uh, you know, we're going to be a company that's on the move getting ready for production. And uh, that is going to take a little more um, uh, money. It could come in the form of, of debt. Uh, we don't have any commitments on how we'll, we'll raise it, but it's a really actually a, a relatively small amount of money. And we can talk about that in detail. You know, some of the shareholders have been disappointed with the dilution. Some folks have said that it looks like, you know, Wayne has raised more money and has gone back to sleep. No updates, you know, poor form. Thoughts on this and how are you managing the company progress in these? The fact is it's it's still stagnant market conditions. What's your thoughts there? Well, exactly. Um, you know, when... <laughs> When the uranium market does take off, uh, we're, we're one of the best positioned companies now. Um, we're not sleeping. Uh, we're, we're truly working hard. Uh, we've initiated a, a field demonstration. Uh, we've commenced the Mine Unit 1A low pH field demonstration, and that's operationally to verify our optimized uh, process chemistries, ion exchange resin technologies, and, and uh, solids handling methodology, so that when we go back into production, and we will, um, you know, we're going to go in back into production stronger and, and better than ever. So, you know, the field demonstration today um, is not generating news flow. Um, we we just commenced the uh, the demonstration in August. It takes uh, several months to get the uh, the field chemistry um, to the proper chemistry for uranium extraction. So we don't expect news flow at the moment out of the field demonstration, but perhaps um, as re initial results become available, you know, later this quarter, we we may uh, release some information or or early next year. Um, you know, the operation is going exactly um, as planned to date, and and uh, you know the operation of the the field demonstration, and uh, you know the company is is far from from resting. Um, we're taking uh, the opportunities that are in front of us and moving forward with them rapidly. Yeah, and I think it would be good, you know, as much as possible for you guys to demonstrate that progress in an anticipation that the share price can get up before, obviously, the next capital raise that happens. 
What are your thoughts on your confidence level of getting everything optimized and when the time comes, spending the CapEx and really seeing this this project get up to nameplate capacity, Wayne? What's your thoughts on your confidence level there? Well, you know, um, we did a, a feasibility study in, in the fall of 2018. That's now two years old. And that was the feasibility study was, you know, about the potential of low pH at the Lance projects. Uh, since then, we've we've uh, worked uh, can almost continuously in the laboratory to continue to demonstrate some of our assumptions. Uh, our assumptions have been validated, uh, and and the low pH chemistry has really proven to be um, effective um, in both uh, enhancing the recovery rates and and um, giving us very good recovery economics. Uh, our our uranium costs. Uh, production costs in the laboratory scale. Then we did a, a, a field leach trial in, in 2019, and that field leach trial um, was an effective demonstration that uh, indeed low pH chemistry could um, outperform the alkaline chemistry in which the, the mine was originally built. Um, so, you know, the demonstration, the field trial that we did was in an area that uh, that had previously been mined effectively to exhaustion using the alkaline chemistry. And when we applied the low pH chemistry, we had a lot more uranium recovery as expected uh, because the alkaline was able to, you know, to, to bring out about 50% of the uranium and, and the low pH chemistry really brings out uh, considerably more. We're looking at you know, 80 to 90% recovery for, in the field there. The new demonstration, which we're running today, is in a fresh mining area, never been been impacted by um, the alkaline chemistry, and uh, you know it's it's a really important uh, um, demonstration uh, to verify that our chemistry is good. But um, I think my confidence on on everything that we've done, both in the laboratory and the field, is very high. Uh, we're using good, uh, rigorous procedures. And, and drawing the proper conclusions. Um, you know, this company has come to the right answer for how to mine uranium uh, using in situ recovery at the Lance projects, and uh, you know, it's going to be successful moving forward. The capital um, investment that we need to move forward with uh, ramping up production initially is only six million dollars. Uh, so I, I don't think that shareholders should be, you know, fearful of a, a large capital raises coming down the pipe. Uh, I don't think anybody can put their project into operations for six million dollars or less, um, uh, other than Peninsula. Uh, we have existing well fields um, that that we can um, do exactly what we did in the 2019 field leach trials, and that is to go back in and and recover uranium from existing well fields without expending the development costs of building new well fields. Uh, and, you know, we can have our project up and running in the low pH capacity for, you know, a very small capital investment of about $6 million. Uh, to take the project to uh, current capacity, which is about 1.1 million pounds per year, um, we're going to need to develop new well fields and we'll follow the pathway that the the field demonstration today is pointing us to, uh, you know, we'll use the, the new chemistry there as well. And, um, you know, a new well field will cost $10 million. We need to, we need to invest in, in new well fields for the, for the future to ramp our project up to full capacity, but we're going to be doing that in, in, you know, good market conditions. So every mining company has these sustaining capital needs. 
um, ramping up new well fields. Everybody's going to be spending this money. Um, we'll be no different, and we'll be doing it. You know, when the market tells us that it's the time is right. And when you guys get started that initial production, and we have, you know, you guys are filling some of those agreements. Do you see that that initial production level selling into the agreements will be sufficient to take care of company cash needs and also potentially partially finance those new well fields. Do you see that that is of an economic profile that's going to work? I think that, uh, you know, we can, we can commence operations and, and um, get some, some good demonstrations and, and experience under our belt and build, rebuild the confidence of the shareholders that the low pH indeed is going to work. Um, and, and then, you know, make the decision towards new well fields. Uh, but you know, operating costs, cash flows against our contracts, uh, the margins are not going to be um, long term what the, you know, what we'd want. Uh, you know, if we're producing at a half a million pound per year rate, uh, you know, we're going to be closer to break even than 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 generating, um, you know, large margins on our current contracts. Now, that's not to say that we couldn't um, you know, write some new contracts in a, in a more robust uranium market that, that generate better revenues for us. As you guys get going, talk about just briefly, you know, you guys had bought a little bit of uranium in the market this year and also plan to do next year with your guys is with where the spot price is, where you can get that uranium material. Talk about just the, the trade off between where you guys could be on production, total cost standpoint on production versus, you know, going into the market and, and buying uranium at call it 30 a pound. And then turning around and selling it, uh, you know, at your guys's agreed price, which I think is in the, I think it's roughly the $50 area. When will that start to just say, forget about the spot market? Let's just focus on our getting that half a million pounds per year production. Right. Um, well, our feasibility study in 2018 projected an all-in sustaining cost of about $40 a pound uh, when we're producing at a million pound per year rate, um, and and that's. Uh, feasibility study really is is still valid. Uh, all the work that we've done subsequent to um, the feasibility study has validated those assumptions, and 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 really, it's a robust and and high quality feasibility study. Uh, you know, the the assumptions we made back then were you know proven to be very good assumptions. So uh, you know, with the market you know in in the low 30s today. Um, you know, we can still acquire product in the market at a, at a price that's $10 a pound more than our, or, or less than our uh, all-in sustaining costs uh, for production. So, uh, you know, that strategy is going to hold, you know, for a while. It's it's a good strategy. Uh, but, uh, you know, look, we're all in this because we believe that uranium prices uh, fundamentally need to improve. There's a hundred million pounds uh, gap looming between the supply and demand, you know, in the future and the incentivization to put uranium mines, whether it be ours uh, or or any new mines, it back into production uh, um, or into production for the first time. Uh, you know, everybody needs forty, fifty dollars, and uh, you know, when the price gets there, um, it's really easy for us to um, take our very modern uranium uh, mining facilities in Wyoming and and ramp them up. Wayne, take us back for just a moment. Uh, capital raises, 
talk about the new shareholders that came in as part of that. And can you tell us where you guys are as far as major shareholders you want to highlight, Wayne? And then also at this point, where does management stand as far as total ownership? Well, uh, I think that, uh, you know, again, our shareholder base is, is largely Australian. We have about 30% um, of our, uh, our shares held institutionally. And then uh, we have a very broad uh, um, um, retail um, distribution. So, but at the top of the list, um, you know, we have uh, two companies that, that we're real pleased to have supporting us, uh, Paradise Investments out of Sydney, and um, recently, a new major shareholder has come onto the books, uh, Nero Resource Fund. Uh, Nero is a, a Perth-based uh, resource investor. Uh, they have a little over 5% of our, our shareholdings now, where, where Paradise sits around 10%. Those are our top two shareholders. Um, and, you know, and then the list really moves to, towards um, uh, more focus on on uh, retail investment. Um, again, you know, 30% of our 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 whole our shares are are out in in what is classified as institutions. Uh, and you know, really, I think at this point, um, you know, at the end of September, a lot of the the movement post the 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 June 30th uh, equity raise has has settled down. Um, we're finding um, our shares in happy hands, uh, long-term um, uh, investors, people who believe in uranium, who understand the peninsula story and, and, and what a quality story it is today. On the uh, management front, um, you know, I think it's important always to recognize that the current management in, in peninsula is, is not represented by founders. And, uh, we don't have uh, people holding large blocks as, as founders. And, and therefore, management's uh, shareholding is is really um, on the order of uh, cumulatively about five percent or less. So uh, we don't have um, a huge position um, held by by management or the board at this point in time. Is there any work being done to continue to build that strategic shareholder base uh, with some of the well-known uranium funds that are out there, both in the U.S. And also, you know, there remains to be some in Australia. Is that something you guys are wanting to continue to do and, and are in discussions with those particular uranium funds to also uh, potentially get on board with the story? Uh, absolutely. You know, we're speaking to shareholders and potential shareholders, institutions on a, on a regular and constant basis. Um, you know, maybe, you know, if I'm quiet in the market, it, it doesn't mean that I'm I'm not uh, um, very actively engaged speaking with uh, shareholders and potential shareholders um, on a regular basis. Um, so, uh, you know, I think uh, some some uh, institutions want to come in um, during uh, periods where you're issuing new equity. Um, those opportunities for them are are in the rearview mirror now for for the foreseeable future. Uh, you know, the opportunity for larger um, shareholders to build positions is now in the market. Um, and, and I think that's important for people to understand, uh, you know, we're not, we're not raising capital now. And, uh, you know, we've done that. We, we met our needs. We've, we've retired our debt. Uh, you know, now that, you know, the shares are, are in the market and, and building a bigger position in Peninsula is going to require that you be a market uh, acquirer rather than an off-market acquirer.
Wayne, let's talk M&A for a moment. Is the company open to discussions regarding mergers uh, to potentially position the company even better for the longer term? Any chatter on that front? Uh, are you guys open to uh, potential mergers? You know, we recognize that um, Peninsula has the Lance project, and it's a very good project with, you know, 53 million pounds of resource in one site. And it's, it's really the largest uh, uh, U.S. Uh, developed uranium project. And, uh, you know, it's important, too, as a board, uh, we know that we'll be deeper and stronger if we're not um, just a one uh, trick pony, if you will, if we have more than one project um, in our asset account. Uh, and uh, so so we're always um, on the hunt. We're looking for opportunities um, that make sense uh, for Peninsula shareholders, uh, for the shareholders of the other assets or the owners of the other assets. So uh, probably never is the answer if, if you're wondering um, you know, when is when is Peninsula out of the M&A market? The answer is probably never. Um, you know, we have uh, we have had conversations. We continue to have conversations. There are assets that we like. Uh, there are companies that we'd like. Um, and, you know, but uh, at the end of the day, it takes uh, two. And um, you know, uh, I'm not. I'm sure where the our counterparties will be in in the future, but uh, we're always looking we're always looking for opportunities to to grow the company to expand it through m and a um, you know to enhance our asset base. yeah, absolutely. I've gotten that from some other folks as well as I think that there is there's some people in the sector that are willing to work together and that are pretty open and trying to find a common path. Um, but then I think also there's a lot that are fairly proud and stubborn, you know, looking at other companies and in my view, doing what's best probably for consolidation purposes and for long-term value. You know, one of the, one of the challenges to M&A today is that, that a lot of the companies that are prominent in the space have their full share of idle facilities. Nobody needs to to add idle facilities to their to their accounts right now. I mean, growth is good, but not growth for growth's sake alone. You know, in in a in a bullish uranium market, um, you know, everybody's going going to want to have what we have, which is a a fully capable production asset. Um, you know, and and we're going to want more fully capable production assets. But today, where where the vast majority of the junior companies are. Um, sitting in idle or development stage, uh, you know, production isn't isn't necessarily um, the attribute that, uh, or production ready isn't necessarily the attribute that everybody seeks. I can see that side of it. And then, of course, the other side, too, is the, the bear market low valuation acquisitions. And, and we see this not just in uranium, very little actually, but, you know, we see this in other natural resource sectors where, significant value can be had because assets are going for nothing and of course that requires a longer view and it also requires capital and i think that's where the sector is a little bit starved certainly on the capital front but but hopefully there's some good marriages out there that that can happen and um, i think that the the value to see that is good rather than high level late stage market acquisitions which of course result in overpaying for stuff as as you and i both know we've seen that in the past well let's talk a little bit about personnel for a moment Wayne, you had, I think it was July, you brought on Ron Chamberlain as your CFO. Your thoughts on Ron and what he brings to the table at this stage? Well, first of all, um, you know, I'd like to thank Dave Coyne, who was our CFO prior to. Um, Dave has moved on to uh, 
working with a, another company and, and what he saw as um, greener pastures. Uh, but Dave did a, a stellar job for the company and, and Dave has uh, remained on the company as, as a non-executive director. Um, so, so we're real pleased to have uh, the ongoing uh, contributions and support of our former CFO. Ron Chamberlain um, steps right in and, and, and fills the seat quite capably. Ron was um, previously um, CFO at uh, a uranium pure Vimy in, um, in Australia. And, and prior to that, he was uh, with one of the significant names in the uranium space in their formative days, uh, Paladin. Uh, Ron was was CFO at Paladin while Paladin was growing to become, um, you know, the the developer of Langer Heinrich and Kyla Kara uh, projects. He had a, a full plate, um, and he has over you know a, a decade of of experience in in uranium mining companies. He has project experience in the United States. The last company he was with was a a, a company here in North America. Uh, so, so Ron just steps in and capably uh, knows the space, knows his job quite well, and uh, we're real pleased to have uh, Ron join our team and, you know, really uh, fill Dave's shoes quite capably right out the gate. And you've also got a key person there uh, as well, Harrison Barker. Uh, talk about the importance of having Hink on board, and are you fully confident in his ability to fill 100% of the company's productive capacity with supply agreements as this market ramps up? Well, Harrison is a non-executive director on the company. Uh, he, he's a retired uh, a senior executive with a, a U.S. Um, utility. Um, he was a fuel buyer. Um, he's a nuclear engineer at the end of the day, and uh, he has he is well connected throughout the uh, the space. Um, I work closely with uh, Harrison uh, in our uranium marketing efforts, uh, and uh, what, you know he just has uh, down-to-earth, solid advice on um, you know what's right, what's wrong, and what are the trends in the uranium space when you know when we're looking at preparing uh, proposals at, for RFPs for contracts, uh, when we're speaking with um, our potential and our current customers. Um, he knows the business and he knows it inside and out because his career was right there in fuel procurement, you know, for a major utility. Yeah, and Wayne, certainly, and Dustin Garrow speaks highly of him, and I've spoken to him a little bit and, and seems like a fantastic gentleman. Talk about the utilities for a moment. You know, obviously, he's got relationships that are still there. What are the discussions with utilities at this point? And in your discussions with Hank, what are fuel buyers doing right now, and do they have any concerns with this market? No, I think, you know, fuel buyers generally, um, you know, look at the market and say, well, the soft market, the, the spot price is soft uh, and and we can acquire um, uranium in the market at uh, desirable prices at any point when we want. They're comfortable with the prices where they are. They recognize that the prices are not high enough to incentivize new production. And at some point in time, um, those prices have to go up. but um, I think the conversations with the with the fuel buyers is is uh, you know more uh, on the order of uh, we have what we need ordered through contracts um, and or we have the ability to uh, pick up what we need in the spot market uh, at uh, prices that are um, preferable to long-term contracting prices today. So it is going to take a swing 
Um, you know, it's going to take a, a momentum change for the prices to move upward on a long-term fundamental, not on a short-term fundamental. I mean, this year we saw prices go up on uh, uh, production um, decreases related to COVID. Uh, I think everybody could look in the, in the, out the window and say, well, uh, even COVID is not going to last forever. You know, if prices are up today, we can wait. Um, and, and I think largely the utilities did. I think, I think the utilities, um, you know, they were in the market some, but, but uh, for the most part, they sat out 2020. Um, you know, the, the buying was um, more driven by the needs of the producers than it was by the needs of the consumers. And, and it was, so 2020 was a quite interesting year. But going forward, um, we know that um, you know their their contract book opens up in the next two to three years. Uh, you know, uncontracted demand gets uh, to be a larger and larger portion of their portfolio, and and the real uh, the prime contracting window for the for those um, those time periods is is uh, getting closer and closer. So we'll see fuel buyers in the market uh, 2021 2022. Uh, a much more stronger uh, presence than we did this year. Yeah, I agree. And we're looking forward to seeing those real volumes, uh, which we have never, we haven't seen for a long time. So looking forward to seeing real, real notable volumes coming to this market. Well, let's, uh, let's go back to Lance for a moment. Time frame here, Wayne, to complete the optimization and test work and, and also get the final permit revisions that are needed talk about the final milestones here to knock this out and to be ready well you know we're making good use of our time at lance um, by you by doing this field demonstration it's going to give us a, a upper hand when we uh, move back to commercial production uh, but the reality is we don't have to do this field demonstration um, to put the project back into production um, we estimate that um, within six months of an of a investment decision, we could be producing again. So, um, you know, very, very quick uh, timeline to, to return to production. And we don't have to wait for the conclusion of the field demonstration to do that. But the field demonstration will enhance our knowledge, and it is a valuable um, exercise for us to, to go through. Um, so that said, the field demonstration itself is is projected to to go for the next 12 to 18 months. Um, and, you know, we'll continue to collect valuable data over that period, uh, the, the prime productive points of the uh, of uh, any new field, um, whether it be a demonstration area or a commercial area, are really in the, probably the three to six or eight month period. So we'll have great data, uh, you know, within the course of the, the first year and certainly good enough good enough data that we could um, uh, if if we deem necessary update a feasibility study and 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 uh, maybe you know do financing on the on the heels of an updated feasibility study so uh, you know for us really the door is wide open if the market was cooperating today we'd we'd be back in production in six months um, we will we will do um, the important work of of uh, optimization and and continuing to understand the um, the chemistry that we're pursuing at the Lance project, the you know the first and only U.S. project fully regulate or licensed uh, to use low pH, and um, 
I think the other aspect of the question that you had was, uh, you know, when will you complete the regulatory work? I, I want to be clear. We have full regulatory authorization to use the low pH methodology. Um, we intend to start using the low pH methodology in our existing fields when we get started. And, uh, and there's nothing um, that we need to do on a regulatory front um, to change uh, or to, to be permitted uh, to, to work in our existing fields or in new fields. Uh, but we've identified through our research and, and we're working to uh, validate that information with our field demonstration um, that some optimizations to our chemistry are desirable and, and those optimizations um, sometimes require permit amendments. Um, we did submit a permit amendment in um, the last quarter uh, to the agencies asking for um, approval to utilize oxidants along with the low pH chemistry uh, at the facility. Now, you know, use of oxidants in, in in situ recovery is nothing new. I mean, you use them with alkaline chemistry, but when we initially had the low pH uh, chemistry approved, we didn't recognize the value of the oxidants in our application and, and we didn't include it. Uh, today we do. Uh, we think that application um, you know, we'll move through the regulatory agency fairly efficiently and, and we'll receive the approvals to uh, um, utilize uh, oxidants um, well within the time frame that we need it uh, for any future mining activities. It sounds like, you know, you guys will need to, you know, handle the capital there to get through uh, sufficiently here to a better price point to, uh, you know, to get that initial production going. And it sounds like once you guys make that decision, in part based on market price, that you guys can be up and rolling in, in six months. So fairly quick turnaround on that. We'll talk a little bit about resource expansion. If there's any plans on that front. Uh, is that being considered now within the Ross permit area, Wayne, or will that only be done once market conditions improve and better cash flows arrive? Well, resource expansion really um, requires a, a commitment of capital towards uh, uh, drilling, um, really, you know, in, in a project like Lance or at the Ross area. There's huge potential for expansion of, of the resources within the, the uh, Lance projects area. And uh, you know, but but we're committing our capital um, to the to the low pH optimization work right now. Uh, the Lance project has uh, you know 53 million pounds, 54 million pounds of York compliant resource. Uh, we don't have an urgent need uh, to expand our resources, and and it's really not uh, front and center in the company's strategy uh, to expend uh, precious capital today. Uh, to expand an already large resource. Yeah, I agree. I think it makes sense to start looking at that later once cash flows are rolling in and the market conditions are are much better. When you guys start to look at that in the future, do you see that the grades will be pretty much equal to uh, what you guys are catching out there already? It seems likely. You know, the trends that we have mapped over the project area all have been relatively consistent in, in uh, grade. Um, 
you know, throughout the history of the project, um, you know, the project grades, and whether it there be in the Ross area, which is the initial permitted area, or the, the Kendrick or the Barber areas, which are expansion areas in the lands project, they all seem to be relatively consistent grades. Uh, you know, we have a really nice uh, a mineral area to the south of the project in the Barber area. Um, it's It's been drilled to a reasonable extent and uh, shows consistency with uh, what we have over at Ross. Well, Wayne, why now should potential investors be considering Peninsula Energy at this stage and current price levels? What would you say to potential investors who are listening? Well, I think that um, folks who, who are looking for an opportunity to invest into the uranium space um, should be looking for companies that um, have the ability to generate cash flow now. We have that. Uh, we have contracts. They extend out to the year 2030. Uh, we have a good plan to fulfill them. You know, we can utilize those contracts in, in the periods of poor market pricing um, by purchasing pounds out of the market and supplying uh, to the contracts and, and generating premium that way. We can utilize our contracts in, 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 the, in the periods of good market pricing uh, you know, to stimulate our production and, and utilize our production uh, to grow profitably. Uh, you know, Peninsula has a lot of upside potential, and after several years of years of hard effort, uh, we have now really positioned the company at a point uh, that that few others can say. You know, we have maybe six months, six million dollars investment to be back in production uh, very quick. Uh, you know, a lot of people claim first mover rights, but but I think that you know we should be in the conversation with the, the ability to to be back in production in six months. Uh, we have the cash on hand now and the revenues uh, to carry us a long ways into the future. Fundamentally solid, tradable shares, um, good liquidity, and probably one of the best positioned uranium companies out there right now. And Wayne, the best way for investors to reach out to you and to the company. Well, certainly we have a an easy email to remember. It's info at pel.net.au. I get those emails. I respond regularly um, and and consistently. Uh, happy to uh, have that. Go to our website. We'll be releasing a fresh uh, look up website in the coming days, uh, probably before the end of the month of October maybe even concurrent with the release of this interview. And, uh, you know, look, come and look at our website. It has all the contact information you need. That's www.pel.net.au. We'll be happy to respond to any inquiries that come to us via the, the website or email. Okay, Wayne, and you're just a few hours from the project itself. Uh, are you taking visitors at your house? <laughs> I am in Casper, Wyoming, U.S. Mountain Time. Um, you know, so even though we're a, an Australian listed company, you have the opportunity to talk to myself in North America or Ron Chamberlain in Perth, Australia. So depending on where you're located, we have somebody on the job almost 24-7. And yes, I'm very amenable to uh, conversations with people around the world at pretty much any time of day because uh, travel restrictions um, and, and just the minimization of travel. Uh, like I said, I've been Zooming around the world and happy to talk to anybody at pretty much any hour. Excellent. Well, Wyoming's a nice place to be and really a, a fantastic state with uh, not a lot of folks running around. So that's uh, an extra bonus. Well, Wayne, it's been good to chat. Thanks for the update and uh, keep up the effort. And we're looking forward to seeing value come soon. 
Uh, thank you very much, Andrew. It's been a pleasure.